This is the What Happened Today podcast, your daily history podcast that tells you what happened on this day in history. Brought to you by the Productive Leisure Network, online, ProductiveLeisureNetwork.com, and on Facebook and Twitter, at Prod Leisure. I'm your host, Will Floyd, and what happened today, January 3rd in 1868, the Emperor Meiji of Japan officially announced in a formal edict that his power was restored and he would now be the ruler of Japan, taking over from shogun Tokugawa Yoshinobu. The Meiji Restoration is what made Japan a modern power. There's no way around this. It kicked off a rapid westernization program, intense militarization, and an engagement by Japan with the rest of the world that transformed Japanese society on almost every level. And what's even more amazing about the Meiji Restoration is that as it happened with this sort of announcement by a teenaged emperor, it was already changing the way Japan had worked for two and a half centuries. As is common with Japanese emperors, Meiji is really a posthumous name. He was granted it well after the actual period of the Restoration and was never actually referred to as Emperor Meiji until after his death. The current emperor in Japan is always just the emperor, and his actual official name he would sign documents with was Mutsuhito. But very early in his reign, the name Meiji, which can be translated as enlightened rule, was applied to the era he ruled over. And the idea of this enlightened rule really is a way of saying we are changing how things are working. And the big takeaways from the Meiji Restoration are that one, Japan would be open to trade from foreign powers. Two, Japan would modernize its industrial capacity and military. And three, and most important for people actually in Japan, is that power now rested with the emperor. In 1603, the Tokugawa shogunate came to power in Japan. The way that this formally worked is that there was a shogun who was always a member of the Tokugawa clan and who ruled from Edo, what is now Tokyo, after consolidating power at the Battle of Sekigahara. And what the Tokugawa shogunate did is that it said there are 200-something different little domains in Japan. They all have their own power and authority in their areas. They will be led by a daimyo, who's sort of, in a way, can be thought of as the head of the samurai class. And he will use the samurai to enforce his laws, and he will not have to really worry about our authority there, but he will have relationships with us. And they had this weird back and forth. This worked fairly well for the Tokugawa shogunate, as they were one of the most powerful daimyo before they took power over all of Japan. And they were able to enforce their authority. However, they gave this nominal authority to the emperor, who had not really held power for a long time, but reduced the actual influence of the emperor even more. Officially, the emperor could consult on different pieces of law, could say that there were policies that should be changed, and this never happened. Mostly, they stayed in their palace in Kyoto, learned poetry and the classics, and were not even just ceremonial figures, but intentionally kept out of the way. This works in one sense in Japan for quite a while because the Tokugawas took power after a civil war and they were able to maintain order. But this gets shattered greatly when American Commodore Matthew Perry brings in 
a squadron of ships to Edo Harbor in 1853. Matthew Perry comes in and says, Hi, we'd like to start trading with Japan. Let's try and figure something out. But if you don't figure this out, there will be consequences. Specifically, we have these nice modern ships that you can't deal with and we will bombard you. This does one small thing and one big thing that directly lead to the Meiji Restoration. First, the shogunate, taken aback, talks to the emperor. This had not happened in centuries, and seeing an opening, the advisors to Emperor Kome, Emperor Meiji's father, say, well, let's keep trading, let's figure out what we want to do, and, you know, keep us in the loop. Well, first of all, treaties are negotiated. The Japanese call them the unequal treaties, because really, they had no ability to control anything. But Japan is open to trade, and now the emperor is involved. On the other hand, the emperor is not as involved as he would like to be. Shogunate starts to regret even talking to him at all, and various groups rise up. This whole time, Emperor Meiji is a small child. He was only born in 1852. But throughout the 1850s, his father is starting to try to have some more authority and control. And what really starts exploding things is the Satsuma Choshu Alliance that develops in 1866. After years of the Tokugawa shogunate saying, well, we will open up, but we're going to do different things. We're going to try some stuff. Finally, various daimyo say, no, what has to happen is there needs to be actual reform. Japan needs to change. Japan needs to deal with Western powers that are now flooding in. The French under Napoleon III come in. The British governments, who are weary of Napoleon III, start coming to Japan themselves. Russia is developing a navy in the Pacific and is threatening as well. And still, there are these American ships coming and going. So the heads of the Satsuma and Choshu domains come together and say, we want to modernize Japan by restoring the emperor's authority. It may seem strange to think about it that way. Let's go to the traditional, old-fashioned authority to make Japan a modern power. But in the context of 1866 Japan, there were two problems with just getting rid of the shogunate. One was that there was no obvious mechanism of government. The bureaucracy of Japan was a Tokugawa invention. Second, the Tokugawas were not going to go quietly. They were still the most influential of all daimyo, even if they quit being the shogun. And there was a large samurai class that ruled Japan that had different allegiances. And so putting the emperor as sort of a figure in place what is a way of saying, we know that we need someone there. But we sell this bureaucracy and we can switch it out. Two things caused this to undergo a slight revision. First of all, the seemingly quite healthy Emperor Kome dies at the age of 36 in 1867. And so Prince Mutsuhito becomes the emperor. Second, Tokugawa Yoshinobu, current shogun, is attempting to reform Japan and does not necessarily do it in a way that is satisfactory to the Satsuma Choshu alliance. And part of why he doesn't is that he, of course, wants to keep his own power. He says, we will make Japan a Western-style state, but I also am going to keep my authority and all the ways we've been doing it are going to stay the same. We're just going to have better weapons and better technology. This doesn't really work. And after a series of battles and what would become known as the Boshin War, finally in 1867, in November, Tokugawa Yoshinobu says, 
I will no longer be the Shogun. I will step down in favor of you. There is a small problem with this idea, which is that exactly who is ruling and how isn't clear. While the Emperor is given authority, it's also dealing with a 15-year-old boy. But Meiji manages to say, I am the Emperor, I have the authority, and I will declare myself the head of the government of Japan. But very importantly, the actual declaration, the edict that the emperor gives out, says to the sovereigns of all foreign countries, we are now exercising supreme authority in all the internal and external affairs of the country. There isn't a statement that says everything's changed. We've totally revolutionized what's going on. We're done. There would be later documents that do this. Most importantly, in April of 1868, the Charter Oath sort of sets out a guideline and five basic ideas of what will happen. It was made almost as soon as Meiji formally took power. The other important feature of the Meiji Restoration was the Meiji Constitution. But the Meiji Constitution did not go into effect until 1890. And while it greatly changed the entire structure of Japan, making it the strange mix of constitutional and absolute monarchy based on European models. What it really does is it says, all those things we've been doing, we're now trying to codify. Because really the way that the Meiji restoration happened was that the emperor Meiji declared his own authority over all of Japan and replacing the Tokugawa shogunate in a formal edict which is what happened today, January 3rd in 1868. That will do it for today's episode. But as always, please check back in tomorrow. We'll have a brand new episode because we are a daily history podcast. and We put out a new one of these each and every day. You can also find all of our episodes on our website, ProductiveLeisureNetwork.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. And if you're listening to us on iTunes and Stitcher, please help us out by subscribing to this podcast, leaving a rating and leaving a review. You can also help us out more directly by going to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash productive leisure, and giving a small monthly donation that allows us to keep doing this podcast and hopefully in the future create other podcasts. Also, if you do give a donation, you'll be able to have access to special bonuses and rewards. So if you want any of those, go check them out at patreon.com slash productive leisure and give today. You can also follow us for updates on everything to do with the Productive Leisure Network on Facebook and Twitter at Prod Leisure. Thanks for listening and see you tomorrow.